I love, I love this idea of gospel impact because the gospel does that in our life. It not only saves us, but it changes us. And one of the pieces in this that I really want you to understand today is that what we are saved to is a journey. The Christian life is not just about an event. It's not just about a random group of events that are somehow unrelated, but it is a journey that God has put us on. And the journey is really a story of redemption. It is the story of God redeeming and reconciling and bringing back all that was lost by Adam and Eve in the garden. You see, when God created us, he created us to to know him, to have relationship with him, to walk with him and talk with him in the cool of the evening, to be his image bearers so that to one another we would perfectly reflect the character of God. And when Adam and Eve sinned, that was all lost. And so when Jesus came to die, it was not merely to save us. It was not merely to just give us forgiveness and to somehow give us that promise of the eternal life. But it was really to redeem. It was to bring back all of that. In fact, in that beautiful passage there in Romans chapter 8, as Paul is talking about God's work in salvation and predestination and justification, this is what he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become not simply saved, but he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's the journey. That's the journey that God is taking us, that he is using all of these things in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus. And so when you think about this, it's the idea, the term we often use to explain it is discipleship or to become a disciple. When Jesus came, he chose 12 to be his disciples. And then he told us to go make disciples. It's about the journey. It's about bringing us back to all that God has. Now, the beauty of it is, is that there's a day the journey will be done, right? It's the day we get to go see Jesus. And I love what John says in 1 John 3, 2. He says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. Aren't you glad that now we are the children of God, right? That's, that's great. That's settled. And yet it has not yet appeared as to what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. That's the day the the journey's over. But here, we're in the journey. We are both to be disciples, following Jesus, becoming more like him, and we are to do. We are to make disciples. That's what we are called to do. Now, the journey has an ending point. It also has a starting point. That's the moment of salvation. That's when we come to that place. We talked about it last week where where we understand that we can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to earn eternal life, but that Jesus came and died for us, and we put our faith and trust in him and him alone. At that moment, we are born again, right? 
We move from the kingdom of the darkness to the kingdom of light. We move from being guilty in our sins to now being forgiven. We now become the children of God and the journey has begun. That journey called discipleship. Now the question is, if the journey is to become like Jesus, how do we best do that? How does discipleship in our lives best take place? Well, we've defined it in three broad categories. You may have seen these before. For us, the best way we can explain it is it begins with engaging with God, to have relationship with Him, to know Him, to grow in your relationship with Him. Secondly, it is to connect with others because discipleship always happens in community. It happens as people are used in our life to help us grow And it always leads to living on mission. Now what's really fun is in this passage, as Paul shares about his life, as he talks about his relationship and what he knows of these people at Philippi, what you see are these three things happening. They they give us a little glimpse into their journey. So let's pick it up. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, until the day of Jesus Christ. Now it begins here with Paul giving us a little glimpse into his personal relationship with the Lord. And what he's talking about is is that in all my prayers, I am giving thanks for you. And he even, you know, he's kind of redundant right here because he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you. You almost get the idea that Paul prays a lot, right? This idea that he talks to God, that he has this ongoing conversation with him. And that's about how he engages with God, that personal relationship that God desires to have with him. By the way, it's the very thing that Jesus modeled when he was here, right? Jesus, who's the second person in the Godhead, but he engaged with his father, how? Through prayer. I mean, you see it all over the, the Gospels, let me throw up a f- couple, three verses here. Matthew chapter 14, he just fed the 5,000 and said he sent the crowds away and he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. The night before he was going to choose his 12 disciples, it tells us it was at that time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. What's he doing? He, he's talking to his father. He's engaging in relationship with his father. The night before he goes to the cross, he takes his disciples and says they came to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. You see, prayer is one of those foundational ways in which we engage with God. We talk with Him. We share with Him. We share our heart. Now, what's beautiful about this passage is you begin to understand that for Paul, prayer wasn't merely just about asking for things. But it was about giving thanks. 
He says, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You see, some people have the idea that prayer is just for when you need something. You know, when you're in that point of need, that's when you pray. You know, uh, in fact, I saw a, a little meme once or meme or whatever however you call it. I don't know, but it's, uh, you know, you know, when all else has failed, break glass and pray, right? That's, and that's kind of how some people think about prayer. And that prayer becomes that kind of shopping list that we have where, God, I need this, I need this, and I need this. And that's all that prayer is. But really, prayer is much more than that. In fact, let me ask you, do any of you have those people in your life that the only time they engage you is when they want something? You know, I'll take it from that rumble there. That probably is a yes. But you know, your phone rings and they're on the idea it's that person. And you immediately go, what do they want now? And in my mind, it's like, do I even want to pick up, right? So, uh, but you know, those are not much in the way of relationship. Now, does God want our request? Yes. He wants us to bring our request to him. But if that's all we do, he wants so much more. He wants us to be able to bring our praise, our thanksgiving, the things that are going on in our life. We are to engage with him and to share our life with him in prayer. In fact, what Paul talks about here is that he even does it with emotion. He says with joy. You know, for some that have grown up in certain traditions, prayer is really just kind of a rote memory thing. You know, you, you learn a prayer. Maybe it's the, the prayer before the meal. You know, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for the food. Or maybe it's a, an Our Father. Or, you know, prayer is just something you do and you just kind of recite it and say it, and that's prayer. No, that's not prayer. Prayer is is engaging with God. Prayer is sharing your heart. Prayer is talking to him about those things. And and Paul talks about it. I I give thanks to the Lord for you and I do it with joy because of what you have meant to me. Now prayer is really the foundational way that we engage with God. It's the foundational way that we share our heart and that we come to him. But there's some other ways, way more than what I can mention, but let me mention just a couple. The first one would be his word. So if prayer in the communication point is us speaking to him, then the word is so often as how he speaks to us, the things that he wants us to know. That's why we talk about reading God's word. and We encourage people to read through the Bible every year, read through the New Testament. It's a great way. Study the word. Another way that we, we engage with God is through worship. We sing his praises. I mean, one of the fun things about technology is, you know, on my phone I have my playlist and it says worship. And that playlist is the one that when I'm going to go and I'm going to spend some time in prayer, I'll usually play a couple of those songs. So for me, I begin to think about God. I begin to think about who I'm engaging. I begin to think about those, those things that he's done in my life. And it just, it, it moves my heart in thanksgiving for what he's done. You know, another way we engage God, and I almost hate to mention this in our culture, because our culture means something far different than what, what the Bible means when it uses this word. But it's actually a good biblical term. It's the term meditation. But here in our culture, we have the idea of Eastern meditation where you, you know, yoga and all that, where you empty your mind. You try to move into almost a nothingness, you know. And to be honest with you, I'm going to tell you that's actually a dangerous thing. 
And that's certainly not what the Bible means when it talks about meditation. When the Bible speaks of meditation, it's not about emptying your mind, but it's about filling your mind with the things of God. It's about putting his word into your mind. You know, Psalm 1 puts it like this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and it's in his law that he meditates day and night. So we fill our mind with God's word. We think about his word. We, we think about what he's told us. Joshua was told, you know, this book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night and you will observe all that it says and then your way will be prosperous. So we think on the things of God. We meditate on his scripture. We meditate on who he is. We engage with God. So that's that, that first part. The second part then is this idea of connection. He says in view, verse 5, of your participation in the gospel. Your participation. Now what Paul is thankful for here is their partnership. The word participation there in the Greek is the word koinonia. And, it, and really the kind of a literal translation would be the idea of fellowship. It's about social interaction. It's about community. For those of you who grew up in the church back in the 80s and 90s when Bible studies had cute little Greek names because they were more spiritual. Uh, Koinonia was often one of the, you know, Bible study class. Koinonia. Well, it means fellowship. In fact, the King James actually translates that word koinonia or, or fellowship. But I really think the New American Standard gets the idea better here of partnership because it's not just about fellowship, but it's about deep fellowship together that helps move the ball along. And what Paul is thankful for is for their partnership. And when you think about how it all happened, and we look back in Acts chapter 16, and we were reminded that, you know, these people actually brought Paul into his home. Remember Acts 16, he got there, they met Lydia that place of prayer. They shared the gospel. She came to know Christ. Her family came to know Christ. And then it says this, and when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Paul and Silas and Luke, and we think Timothy was with them, moved into this lady's home. And she cared for them, and she fed them, and she provided for them so that they could do ministry. There was partnership there. And then you remember later as, as Paul casts a demon out of the little slave girl, and he's thrown into jail, and they're beaten. And remember, uh, there was a big earthquake, and the jail cells opened, and the jailer came in. They shared the gospel with the jailer, and he came to accept Christ, and his family came to accept Christ. And it says this, and he took them that very hour of the night— and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized. Man, there, there's a partnership here in the gospel. There's a working together. There's this fellowship and community of how they grew. And, and you see it all over. You see how they loved. In fact, you even look here in verse 7. He says, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. 
since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. There was, a, there was a love, a strong bond of love as they ministered to one another. In fact, if you had time, you could skip on down to what, about verse 23 in this first chapter. And Paul's talking about the kind of that, that point of contention in his own heart. On the one hand, he's under house arrest. You know, if he could just go be with Jesus, that would be good, right? In fact, that would be best for him. Or to stay and kind of muddle through all this stuff here on this earth, and that would be best for the Philippian believers. He said, but because this is best for you, this is what I want to do now. I want to stay because of my love and my care for you. Man, they loved Paul. They were family with him. It happens in community. Folks, discipleship always happens in community. You know, when Jesus came, what did he do? He created a community. He picked 12, right? And then beyond that, there was 70. And then beyond that, there was 120. And then when he was getting the disciples ready to go, and he sent them out, he didn't send them out one by one. How did he send them out? Two by two. He sent them out in community. And then when Paul starts out on his missionary journey and, and the church at Antioch was ready to send him out, they didn't send him out by himself. They sent him out with Barnabas. And when they came back and then they had the falling out, but Paul wanted to go back and visit those churches, he didn't go by himself. He took Silas. Discipleship always happens in community. And that's why it's so important to get engaged in community, to get involved. You know, this is like the last week you can jump into a connect group because they've been meeting for three weeks. But to jump in and to get to know folk there and to find that or, or a Bible study class. You know, next hour there's going to be adult Bible study classes happening all over here. But to get in community. You know, some of you, by the way, do you all know you sit in the same place like every week? In fact, every great once in a while, one of you will change up a seat and it just throws me off the whole morning. You're over here, you're supposed to be over here. You know, what's going on? You ever thought about maybe, hey, this is kind of where we set. These maybe be my people. So maybe if we actually came early, I know that's a big thought there. We could hang out, kind of get to know some of these people. Or you know what, instead of making a beeline after this is done for the door of heading out to the pavilion area and hanging out and get to know people, man, it happens in community. you got to be, in fact, the truth is, is all of us need three people, three types of people in our life. Did you know this? First of us, all of us in this discipleship, in this journey, we need a mentor. We all need somebody who's a little farther down the road from us. Somebody who, who's faced things we haven't faced so that we can look at them as an example so we can learn from them. I mean, I don't know how many of you all know this, but I mean, I've been a pastor now. I think this spring it'll be like 38 years, all right? I've known Jesus for over 50 years. I know I'm much younger in person. But, you know, last year I got invited into this cohort of pastors where we got to go and sit at the feet of some guys who have built, and God's blessed them to build some really large churches and just to kind of pick their brain and learn from them. And for me, it was great because I, I wanted to learn. We all need mentors in our life. That happens in community. We all need companions. 
people that are about the same journey. And what you're usually going to find is those are typically people around your age. They're in those same stages of life. And you do life together, and they're an encouragement, and they help, and they bring accountability, and, and you learn from each other. And then the third piece is, is that we all need mentees. We need those people that are starting out, those people that are behind us that we can help. You know, I heard somebody describe the, a Christians as a sponge. And I love the picture because, you know, we're soaking in, we're taking stuff in. But here's the thing about a sponge. If it never gives out, eventually the water will just run off a sponge. It can't take any more in until it gives some out. That's the way some Christians are because they don't have any mentees. They're not pouring in. They're not giving some of what they got away so they can't take any more in. We all need these people in our lives. And then, of course, then that leads to this idea of living on mission because the partnership, the fellowship is in the gospel. That's the heart of it. We are all called to both live Jesus and share Jesus, right? Isn't that the call to all disciples to go make disciples? And it all begins with the event of salvation. So somebody's going to come a disciple, they've got to hear the gospel message. And so you and I have to live Jesus in front of them and share Jesus in front of them. And that's what we're called to do, wherever it is, whether it's the people in our life or people we come across. And we had kind of a fun situation uh, happened, uh, when was it? Thursday night. The week kind of went by in a blur. So like uh, last Sunday, right after, in fact, even before the baptisms were done, I, I left because we were, last Sunday night, we were in Boulder City. And then on Monday night, we were in Kingman. And then Tammy decided that she really didn't want to miss Bible study. So instead of staying there so we could head to Flagstaff, we came home Monday night so she could be at Bible study on Tuesday morning so that we could then drive to to Flagstaff on Tuesday night for our meeting. And then we drove home after that because we were here on Wednesday and Thursday. And then we went to Prescott Thursday night. And then we're heading over to Gallup, New Mexico. And I told her, there's no way. I mean, I love Black Canyon City, but I've seen it way too often. I'm not going to drive home on Thursday night. We're just going to get a hotel and we'll stay. And then we'll drive over to, to Gallup. So our meeting got done a little early. We got back to the room, and we thought, man, let's go get in the hot tub. Wouldn't that be great? So we, we got in our swimsuits. We head down, and as we got down there, there was this young couple in, in the hot tub. And uh, now, I know you all don't know me really well, but if this had been a square hot tub, I would have gone to the other corner. All right, that's just, I, I really wasn't one to talk to people, but it was round. But I also have this little blonde dynamo with me who is a people person. So she jumps right in, and we met Kelsey, and we met Blake. And we began, she, Tammy was just asking all these questions. And Kelsey, man, she, young, you know, young, I don't think she was more than about 22, 23 years old. Uh, she just had, had a tough life. She had followed a boyfriend to Prescott. She was actually from Payson originally, but that hadn't worked out. And, uh, and this, Blake was not the boyfriend, uh, at least at that time. Uh, you know, she had, she, had, she had a little kid uh, that was with the dad right then. And it just, life was hard. And Blake, he kind of grew up all over the place. And, but his grandparents were in Prescott. That's kind of how he ended up back here. And, and so, uh, and they had just kind of become an item a month or two ago. And, but they're at the hotel that night in the hot tub. And uh, so 
Then they started asking about us, so we started telling our story. 29 years of being married, and they were really impressed. They hadn't met too many people like that. And we got to start t- t- you know, telling a little bit about our story and our journey and, and, and starting to move with the spiritual things. I'm thinking, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to share the gospel with them. And as I'm sitting there thinking, man, this is going to be great. I'm going to share the gospel with them. That little blonde firecracker next to me just launched. <laughs> I never got a word in. Because she started sharing her testimony and the difference that Jesus had made in her life and, and, and how this had, had all worked throughout our life. And then that led to, yeah, because this is what Jesus did for us. And she shares about how Jesus came and died and paid the penalty for our sins. And it was just one of those cool moments. In fact, if you wouldn't mind writing down Blake and Kelsey, because they really need Jesus. And it was really kind of one of those divine appointments because when we mentioned, hey, church you might want to go to, yeah, we, we maybe would. And the one we mentioned, they live right across the street from it. And we go, yes. But man, that's what we're called to do, right? We're called to live on mission, to share the gospel. I mean, as a church, we have a goal, 1250, that we want to see in these five years that we'll come to faith in Christ. And as you get the opportunities, then we want you to tell us a story. You know, somebody you've been praying for who comes to faith in Christ, somebody you've been sharing with. I mean, wasn't that cool about Robbie telling about, teaching about how to witness to Muslims? And they went home, you know, we're blessed by that. Because that's what we are called to do. Partners in the gospel. And when you think about it from Paul's perspective and the Philippian believers, there are probably a couple things that run to your mind. Number one, I mean, one of the ways they partner is, is training. I'm sure Paul had modeled and Silas and Timothy and Luke and had taken them out and shown them this is the gospel. This is how you share it. And that's one of the things that we can do as a church is we can help you learn how to share the gospel. We have EE classes. We have these short-term mission trips. We'd love for you to go on. You're going to learn how to share your faith better. But this is what we've got to do. We've got to partner in the gospel. Then there's financial support. And in fact, the book of Philippians is really almost a thank you letter because they had sent financial support. And this isn't the first time. And you think about our 45 missionaries that get to do what they they do full time because you and I are able to support them, be partners with them in the gospel by us giving. And then there's the emotional support because Epaphroditus, we're going to meet him in a little bit, he was the one that brought the gift to Paul. And he was there and he ministered to Paul and he cared for Paul and he was kind of the hands and feet of serving Paul. And you know, a couple weeks ago, Melissa Crawford was here for the Philippines, you know, and she mentioned. Man, I get so many cards from this church. Seriously. For the last, like, 10 years, every missionary that we've ever had that has come here, that's the one thing they all mention. You guys provide that support because you go around the corner, you get the little cards, you write them a note. It's called our Rope Holders Ministry. It's just right outside those doors. You can find the little card. Man, what a great way you partner in the gospel with them. And another way you partner in the gospel is when, you know, we've got those companions in our life. We have those mentors in our life. We have those mentees in our life. And now we've got these people here that don't know Jesus, and we are able to let them meet and get to know one another. And, and often it's through those, those kind of little spider webs of relationships that other people can share the gospel, and people come to faith in Jesus. We're called to live on mission. Now, I need to hurry But let me just make one important point here. The journey 
of becoming like Jesus always leads to mission. This isn't just simply about information. It's about transformation. And sadly, sometimes along the journey, people take a little bit of a, of a left turn. And it becomes, man, I can debate all these finer points of theology with people, but they're not growing anymore like Christ. And remember, what is the goal? The goal is is that we become like Jesus. The goal is is that we're going to become like him. And at the heart of who he is is this heart of mission. So let's skip ahead now to verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The journey of discipleship is to make us more like Jesus. Folk, if you know Jesus, if you've had that event in your life where you put your trust in Jesus, you are on a journey. That journey is that he would make you into the image of Christ for whom he foreknew he predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ. I love how Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says this, but we all with unveiled face. The idea is the veil's been told back. We know who Jesus is. Beholding as in a mirror. Why? Well, because we're not with him yet. That day when we're with him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. But today we see him how? Through the word of God, as through a mirror. But notice what he says. We are being transformed. Transformed into that same image from glory to glory. That's the journey. That's what God is trying to do. And here's the beauty of it, folks. It's God's work. It's not yours. It's not my job to make me more like Jesus. It's not your job to make you more like Jesus. So don't get your eyes on yourself because if you get your eyes on yourself, one or two things are going to happen. Either you're going to look at yourself and you're going to go, hey, I'm doing pretty good. And then your heart's lifted up in pride. And guess what? Jesus and pride, no, that doesn't work. Or... You look at yourself and go, man, I'm such a mess. I fall so far short, and now despair sets in. That's not healthy. This is God's work. He's the one who's making us more like Jesus. So you don't worry about it. What do you do? You put your eyes on Jesus. That's all you got to do. Do what he's told you to do. Connect with others. Engage with him. Go and live on mission. This is God's work in us, so we don't, we don't have to sweat it. All we got to do is put our eyes on Jesus, grow in our relationship with him, connect with other people, get those mentors in our life, get those companions in our life, those mentees in our life. Go live on mission, look for those opportunities to how we can share the gospel. And here's the... Here's, I, I would use the word, here's the magic, but magic in a sermon probably doesn't work really well. But it's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is this, that as you and I focus on Jesus, because this is God's work to make us more like Christ, and we focus on him, God has the ability to take everything in our life, so the good, the moments of faithfulness, but also the bad, the moments of failure, the moments of pain, the moments even of tragedy. 
And he can use those things in our life to make us more like Jesus. Maybe the most misquoted verse in the Bible is Romans 8.28. It's a great verse, just misquoted, misunderstood. It says that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God. In most people's mind, that idea of good is happy. Good is blessed. Good is, is it ends up being a really good thing. You know, so you, you, know, you get in an accident, but the other person had great insurance, and now you get a new car, I'm blessed, right? So everything's good, happy. Some of you are fighting physical disease right now. Maybe even the big C word, cancer. You're going, man, how could this ever be good and happy? I gotta be honest with you, I've had, when I lost my wife, I had people quote this verse to me. That God was going to make this hilarious in your life. I thought, what are you smoking? Because that's not what it says. Here's what it says. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is his purpose? Do you know what the next verse is? We've had it up twice already today. And those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That's the good. That's the beauty of God. That's the power of God that he can take anything in my life, even at times my failures. But as I keep my eyes on him and I engage with him and I connect with others and I live... He's able to use that in my life to make me more like Jesus. It's the beauty of the power of God. So, two questions. The band's coming out right now. Number one, have you had the event of putting your faith and trust in Jesus? If you haven't, you can do that today. Secondly, where are you at in the journey? Are you engaging with God? Are you growing more in your relationship with Him? Are you connecting more with others? Are you living on mission? That's what He's called us to do.